Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of our new Let's Talk podcast series. I'm Maria, the Prevention and Youth Engagement Coordinator at the National Runaway Safe Line. The National Runaway Safe Line is the federally supported national communication system for runaway and homeless youth in the United States, providing crisis support and resources to over 125,000 youth, families, and communities annually. This November, as we recognize National Runaway Prevention Month, I have the honor of hosting this podcast series where our hope is to elevate the voices of young people as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections that are witnessed by the 4.2 million young people experiencing homelessness across the United States each year. In this episode, I'm so excited to introduce you all, EJ Velez. Over the past few months, I've had the privilege to work with EJ and learn from him as he has shared his story and his advocacy to national audiences. EJ is originally from the Bronx, but now lives in Pennsylvania while attending Cutstown College. In addition to their course load, EJ works four part-time jobs, is a member of the NRS Youth Advisory Board, a member of the Youth Council Advisory Board at the National Network for Youth, and a consultant for Youth Collaboratory. EJ, it means so much that you were able to join us today. I'd love to begin our conversation just learning more about you, your story, and your beginnings in youth advocacy. Thank you for having me, Maria. Originally, I became a misplaced youth when I was 17 after I had been abandoned by my parent. So the day before Thanksgiving, I had a procedure done. And that same day is when my mother and sister called the cops on me, tried to put me in the institution. And then after that being dismissed, taking me to Safe Berks, which is located in Reading to support individuals in domestic abuse situations. They took me there and she told the person at the counter that she no longer had wanted me. The person at the counter said that that's not how that works. So then she took me back to the house and over time she started to pack up the house to where one day I woke up and the whole house was completely empty. At that point, I had an eviction notice posted and I had to leave. I packed up my bags and grabbed everything I could. And during that time, I couch surfed. I stood at individuals' houses. My one friend was in foster care, so I crashed on her couch for a bit. I stood outside most nights. I would go to school randomly, freshen up, and then go right back outside to try to get documentations as well as get benefits since I am disabled. But it was more of me just jumping around and trying to get everything while having the fact that I was disabled be a big factor for SSI welfare to provide supports. It truly took a toll and then Family Promise stepped in right on my 18th birthday to support me and surprised me with my starter home, as I call it, because it was my first apartment. And I had 30 days to get my ID, to get work, to have everything set, because the next month I would have to pay bills. I would have to buy my own food. So they provided the home. I had to provide the essentials. From your introduction alone, it's clear that you've used your experiences to transform and elevate your advocacy for other young people in similar situations. What has this been like for you? Advocacy is in a way seen as a part-time job and or a TikTok thing, Facebook posts or tweets. For me, it's honestly what drives me and what I wanna do no matter what age I am because it might, yes, help me to speak about what I've gone through, but it also helps me to better advocate and fight for others' rights as well as making sure you're not seen a certain way because of an identity in which you can't control, making sure that individuals realize the fact that, yes, I advocate, but advocating for me is also setting up Hill Day meetings or going to protests, 
being able to attend trainings. It's not just the aspect of speaking, it's the fact that I learn every day from being an advocate because I listen to others. I maintain what is said as well as just realizing it does release some of that built-in fire, as I call it, because it burns with inside how much pain you can hold. This is something I actually really relate to and agree with. I feel like the anger and frustration of how people and systems have failed us doesn't just disappear. And those feelings and that fire is valid, but it can also burn us if we don't find a way to use it. It definitely feels like you found a way to express yourself through advocacy. Where do you see yourself in the future? My dream is to run my own business with focuses on ending homelessness for youth who are disabled as well as youth in general. The main focus of the practice would have a section which would be med management as well as therapy. There would be a break-off section that focuses on outreach to create a housing unit specifically for these youth experiencing homelessness with a shelter, a drop-in center, and then units in which they can rent. It's truly creating a multifaceted organization slash business to make sure these youth are receiving services in every aspect to make sure they can properly succeed. EJ, that is such a beautiful dream, and I'm confident you will live into it. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing so much of your story with us. What has your experience been like as a young person with disabilities navigating social services and education systems? When it comes to having a disability in society, society in itself is going to have a built-in idea. A blind person wears sunglasses and holds a cane with a red tip and seen as fragile or weak. Realistically, I was seen as incompetent, untrustworthy. In terms of seeking services from SSI, the lady looked at me and then dismissed me. During that time, it was hard to receive any services due to being disabled and many providers feeling as if I was liability due to a stigma built on individuals with disabilities that we are untrustworthy and or incompetent to make decisions. During that time, it became very clear to me that many providers for youth experiencing homelessness were not going to trust me, let alone my own school district. So it really took a toll on me. Wow, EJ, thank you so much for sharing. And it's um, also to my understanding that you've experienced discrimination in our legal system. Is that correct? I went to a protest and simply just stood. A cop came beside me and started to harass me. The cop left and came back. I assumed it was the same cop, not realizing the cop had changed. I'm legally blind. My left side, I am completely blind. The cop who then came to me was the sheriff, who then signaled a second cop to come. As the sheriff is harassing me and bothering me, not realizing that one, I am legally blind, and two, I have a emotional disorder which can cause me to either shut down or go into fight and flight. And usually I go into flight in certain circumstances. And this time I went into flight, so I sat down and crossed my legs and just sat there. He then arrested me and proceeded to just push it off as if I was faking being blind. So when it came time to actually be in the judge's courtroom, the sheriff tried to pitch his case stating that I was not blind, that I could physically see him, and that I was lying. As I sat across from him on the podium under oath, his case was dismissed and I was given the right to go. Just made me feel even worse to realize that nobody would take me seriously as I was begging and asking for help. That sounds incredibly traumatic. To have so many people actively choose to not believe you because you don't fit the image they have in mind 
of a person living with disabilities. I feel like we have covered so much today in just our short conversation. And it makes me think that, well, you were going through all of these challenges and all of these experiences. Did you have anyone that you could trust or anyone that supported you through them? When Family Promise of Berks County stepped in to assist me and help me, that was then the moment that I was given a chance to truly speak and use my voice. And then it took me going through trainings and different summits to truly see what these youth have done and how I can interpret them as well as contribute to making sure that I'm best supporting myself and making sure that other kids know they can speak up and realize it's not okay to be discriminated against while being homeless for an identity in which you cannot control. And I had one person and I call them Echo and over time they have been there with me before and after everything but during the initial first year they could not be a part of my life while I was still enrolled in school due to safety, safety concerns, as well as making sure that no party was then seen as a liability. Before leaving your parents' home, were you aware of the services available for young people going through similar situations? I didn't know of any services, let alone that services existed, because I would have utilized them years ahead of time to just get out of the situation which I was in. And then after receiving services, I realized the amount of services that are provided are limited only because of a lack of, one, funds, as well as some providers discriminating against who they serve. Specifically in my area, one of the providers who receive bulks of the funds discriminate against individuals who are part of the LGBTQ community. So it then creates that barrier because that is a growing population for homelessness, especially a growing population of individuals who then self-harm or commit suicide. So to receive services is one thing, but to realize some services aren't going to be accepting, let alone provided, whether you're disabled and or LGBTQ, it truly just affects how I see the services because now I don't see all the services. I only see the services in which I'm going to be allowed to attend. We've talked a little bit about the significant benefits and how they've been essential support in your life. For anyone listening and unaware, could you share what barriers to receiving benefits exist for unhoused people? Not a problem. To receive benefits, you have to provide a social security card, a birth certificate, an ID, and proof of residency. If you're homeless, you're not going to have access to any of this, and it cannot be a photocopy. It has to be original. You also then have to have proof of documentation stating of your disability, your income, and your school status. If you don't have a job at the time, you're not going to have that income requirement that they're going to ask for. And if you can't obtain documentation from school because school is not acknowledging the fact that you are now independent, it then causes a barrier. But to apply for benefits, you need to have all the documentation set up as well as the proof. And the biggest thing is to realize it is going to be a process. Since I was a SSI recipient beforehand, since I was born with cancer, it gave me an opportunity to get that benefit quicker. But that benefit in no way will support me to pay my rent, let alone bills, because the minimum rent and Reading is 600. The maximum allowment is 800 from SSI, so you are then left with 200. And you can say, well, you have food stamps then, but you have to then apply for food stamps. You can apply for an emergency lot, which I couldn't do, so I had to wait my turn to be able to go through the process fully to receive it. And in that time, that is 200. The original price that they started me off with was 154 that I would then pay. So I would pay 600 in rent, there would be 200 left, and then 154 for food 
food then would take a bigger toll as well as realizing the fact that 200 doesn't get you very far if you have to buy toiletries, cleaning products, or any other thing like that for your house and or where you're living. With that in mind, what actions, services, policies, or systems do you feel need to change in order to either prevent runaway incidents and homelessness or to better support young people while these situations are happening? The policies and procedures that need to change to best support these youth is simply the policies which limit their access to public assistance as well as housing vouchers specifically for subsidized living facilities in their areas which limit their access especially if they're trying to maintain a full-time job or access higher education the laws that make it illegal for a person to be homeless has to end because you should not be penalized for not being able to afford your essential needs let alone be treated as if you are the actual abuser versus the victim what needs to change is the judicial system as well as the housing and service providers especially focusing on ssi and welfare for the judicial system, we should not be incarcerating homeless youth just for being homeless. Housing should not be restricted for homeless youth who are trying to attend college full-time. They should be given that accommodation of a subsidized living facility, especially since they're trying to succeed and do something better. When it comes down time, an individual who is sick is not going to be able to work and an individual who is starving is not going to be able to focus. So giving them that welfare benefit, especially when they are youth age, can help best support them because it is hard to maintain the job, let alone maintain that respect from your employer. In terms of receiving SSI benefits, if you're living on campus all year round because you can't receive subsidized housing, you're going to need to pay for your food because the meal plans expire during the winter and summer sessions. It's the realization that all these services that are provided to individuals who are senior citizens or have a significant disability which can impact their day-to-day -day living should be incorporated and adapted a little bit to support those who are facing homelessness or currently experiencing homelessness. They should be able to receive these services because it can best support them to then, one, not re-experience homelessness, as well as two, realizing the fact that this then could decrease the number of homelessness, can create an opportunity to see our economy then strive and realize we would have a decreasing number of individuals receiving supplements because after a certain point in graduating and getting that college degree, they are then able to become uh, seen by the government a proper part of society because then they're able to work that nine to five job when realistically they're able to then maintain their expectations and have the services and supports to succeed. EJ, as we wrap up, I just have one more question for you. What message do you feel is important for the public to know or understand about young people who run away from home or experience homelessness? There is a wide range of individuals who run away, let alone experiencing homelessness because foster care youth might run away because they're being abused or neglected. Individuals who are seeing their parents fight every day is going to go through emotional distress, which can then cause unhealthy relationships as they age. Seeing your parents abuse drugs and substances can then create a toxic situation because then you're put in the middle of a situation where you don't know what's going to happen, whether you're going to get beaten or whether you're going to have to care for your parent while you are a five, six or 10 year old. The fact is there is no true definition on what can create an individual to experience homelessness, let alone one way to say that this is how we can best service them. All we can do is provide services that best accommodate to what these individuals need and realize even though that one year lease for me was the best alternative, for some individuals a group home would be a good 
place to start or shelter, one month lease that's flexible. The aspect of having this one cut way to do something doesn't work, let alone one cut way to say this is what it is, this is why it is, and that's just that. That's not how it works. Thank you again, EJ, for joining us today. I could not appreciate it more. Thank you to everyone who's partnered with us this National Runaway Prevention Month. Thank you to everyone who is committed to becoming more aware of the youth homelessness crisis. Thank you to all the young people who share their expertise and speak truth to power. And of course, thank you to everyone who has joined us today for our third episode in the Let's Talk podcast series. Each Tuesday in November, we will publish a new episode where young people lead important conversations about the issues at the intersections of youth homelessness and share their stories. I'm Maria and let's talk soon. Thank you.